0: Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like Him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Well, hello church. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. I'm not Tim Harris. I'm way younger and way better looking. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. My name is Matt Betts. Uh, It's just an honor to be here this morning. Uh, I was the youth pastor, just in case you don't know who I am, I was the youth pastor here many, many years ago uh, before the days of gray hair. And uh in children, I have four kids, four girls, and I didn't have as many as that when I first came here. Uh, so, but it is an honor to be here this morning with you. This is eleven o'clock service. This is these these are the real Christians right here. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. So the people at eight o'clock, they don't even know they're here because they haven't got their coffee in yet. They just coming in, wiping eye boogers and things like that. So. Um, So good to be with you this morning. It's just an honor to be here. We've been staying with with Tim and Casey this week, and uh, it's just been a great great week uh, to be back in Kentucky for a little bit. Um, Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, But I've got a question for you. Who do you look like? Or who do you act like? Has anyone in your life ever told you that you look like maybe a family member? Raise your hand if you've ever had that comment before. You look like or you act like a family member, okay? Is that a good feeling? Some, how many of you cringe at the thought when somebody says, you look like your daddy? You know, that kind of thing. Anybody cringe? Anybody like swell up with pride when somebody tells you that? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, so some of you do that. So it's the thing, it's like certain mannerisms, certain things that you say, um, man, they just, they, just, they just identify you as belonging to someone. For good or bad, you have certain characteristics, actions, mannerisms, ways of talking and doing, certain values that have been passed down to you, and, hold on, and you are passing down to other people. That's the scary part, right? Because you're like, <laughs> it's the hard, that's the hard part to to understand. We call this idea legacy. A legacy is what's been passed down to you, but it's also what you are passing down to others. It's just the idea of legacy. So th- that's one question. What do you, what do you, who do you look like or who do you act like? The second question is, is who's like you? Who is like you? And I'm looking around. I know some of you uh, from the past, and we hung out with the Burnett's Uh, the other night. Some of y'all know Cindy and Dave Burnett. Nate Weed uh, is their son-in-law and his children are Nate Weed Juniors. I mean, they're running around like running into walls and like doing flips and biting things and eating things. I'm like, yeah, that's Nate. That is Nate all day long. But you know how that is, right? People who look like you. So, and act like you. I've got a picture here. I want to show you my family. They were here. They went through two services this morning. And Savannah, the one that's to my right, your left, she said, "I ain't going through this third service." <laughs> she's like, "I've had enough of you today." Uh, but this is my family. That's my wife. We've been married 21 years. And this is my four daughters. Kaylin, far right, she's 18. Going, she's going to be going to Liberty University in the fall. Uh, Savannah's the one next to me. She's 15. Addison's 12, the one with the yellow shirt. And Reagan, which was born here in Kentucky, she's eight years old. So uh, just a blast to have. But these girls are a whole lot like me. So in a lot of different ways. And I used to say, I used to say, you're welcome. You know, it's just like, hey, you've got it made because you're like your daddy. And then I started like to get to know myself a little bit and all the problems that I have and the things, the insecurities that I have. And I started seeing those things bubble up to the surface with my kids. And now we've just decided to like pay for their counseling when they're older because it's, yeah, it, it's, it's bad sometimes, but, but who's like you? Who's like you? Who, who are you passing down your legacy to? Uh, and, Today I want to I want to kind of go beyond the, this this idea of like the family aspect because we can pick it apart and go, She's got my eyes, she's got my attitude, she's got this, and you could do that same thing in your with your kids and, and your or your parents. But I want to go beyond that. I want to go beyond the family aspect. And I want to talk about something very eternal. And it's this idea of how to live a life of legacy that you pass down that is about impacting people for the kingdom of God. So it goes beyond this family aspect to, actual, to, to legacy in a room like this, in a community, in your family, and in, in, in ministry. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter five, and it's gonna be an interesting passage for you because you're gonna be, be like, man, why is he talking about genealogies? Uh, genealogies is a blast to read sometimes in the Bible. But I wanna read the entire chapter and then pick out some things uh, here that should help us today. Y'all ready? Y'all got to talk to me. Are y'all ready? All right. So y'all are going to be talking to each other. You're going to be talking to me. So you got to loosen up a little bit. All right. Loosen up. And uh, it's going to be good. Genesis chapter one, verse number five says this. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female and he blessed them and called them human. Everyone say human. Human. Got it. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years and then he what? Died. And When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Good job. When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enosh lived another 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived 905 years, and then he All right, you're getting the idea, right? You don't even have to read it now. You're just like, the last word is died. Uh, so here we go. When Kenan was 70 years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After the birth of Mahalalel, Kenan lived another 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After the birth of Jared, Mahalalel lived another 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. <laughs> You're catching on. When Jared was 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Now, who in the room would sign up for that versus the other verses so far? Like, God's like, bloop. Walk close to God, God takes you, or death. I would rather this one. Um, When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years. He had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Changes a little bit here. Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How many of y'all usually skip over the genealogies if you're reading the Bible? And be honest, it's okay, it's okay. I do too sometimes. But it's good every now and then to kinda hone in on this. And I want us to kinda bring out, I wanna bring out four qualities of a kingdom legacy lever. So what is legacy? It's what has been passed down to you and what you are passing down to others, right? Are you with me? So I want to give you the four qualities of a kingdom legacy lever. Number one, leaving a kingdom legacy is about imprinting the image of Christ on those around you. Okay? Got it? Genesis chapter 5 verse 1, let's read it one more time. It says this, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam when God created human beings. So it goes all the way to the beginning what God was trying to do. When he created human beings, he made them to be like himself. Some of your Bibles may say say something about he made them in his image, that they are image bearers. We bear the image of God. So in the world, we we are to reflect the image of God. We are to reflect the character of God to the world. We are to carry his message, who he is, to those around us. We are image bearers of Jesus. And you're thinking, my kids are the farthest thing from an image bearer of Jesus when they're hungry. I understand that. It's like, it's uh, it, sometimes you don't see it in your life, but it's true. We are image bearers of Christ. And you may be thinking, well, wh- what, is, what does that even mean when we're talking about like we're supposed to imprint the image of Christ on those around us? What does that mean for me? Like how do, how do we even... Do that, Or you could be thinking, okay, do you know me? Because that sounds really difficult. And it sounds like I need to know a bunch of stuff to impart onto a crowd like this. It's like, that's, that's beyond my, my reach of what I can do. But I want to set you at ease today, okay? Number one, it's not as difficult as it sounds. Look at your neighbor and go, whew. y'all gotta do it, come on, come on. Look at your neighbor and go, thank you. It's not as difficult as it sounds. Number two, you don't have to be perfect. Now look at your other neighbor and say this, he's talking about you. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking to, to everybody. Nobody in this room is perfect, and you don't have to be. When we talk about imprinting Christ, on a person that is around us, whether that's family, coworkers, neighborhood, whatever, it's not as difficult as it sounds. You don't have to have it all figured out. Thank the Lord. And number three, it actually is more simple than you can imagine. So today, that's all I'm doing, is trying to make it very simple for people like me to be able to walk out of this room and do that and make an impact for the kingdom with my kids, with those that live next to me in my neighborhood, and the people that I work with, okay? So I want to show you this. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, it says this, and focus on that first word, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands, and let them be a symbol on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your fathers. So, so the promise is, is, like is where you and your children be in the promised land. It's being this place of relationship with Jesus. And it all goes back to this one word, imprint. So I've got a little box here. I don't know what's in here. I'm just kidding. This is something my wife gave me a few years ago. Because people kept stealing my books. And I like books. Do y'all know what this is? So if you're like a, a notary, is there any notaries in here? You put your seal on, on things. I don't know if y'all still do this. It's usually like a stamp, I guess, now. Um, but this is an embosser. So on this uh, embosser has my seal on it. It has a little M and a little B. And it has this book, Property of Matthew Betts. And so my wife got it so that I could brand and emboss my, my books so that people, when they open it up, they go... I stole this. <laughs> I need to give it back to MatPat. Uh, but this is an embosser. And this, this is what an embosser does. Okay, an embosser takes the image of the original. Okay, takes the, the image of the original and imprints it on what it comes in contact with. So it takes the, this original and I can take it to this sheet of paper and I can squeeze it. And it's a direct image of the original. So this word, when you see the word imprint in this passage, it's meaning that. Because what we want to do a lot of times is imprint on our kids or those around us what what we're like. And some altered view of, of reality, of truth. But God's like, I want you to take me. I want you to take who I am. And I want it to impact you so much that you impact others. Whoever you come in contact with gets a little bitty piece of the original because of what God is doing in you. But how in the world do we do that? And it all starts with your relationship with Jesus. It starts with who you know about Christ, what you know about Christ. So in Galatians chapter 5, we're not going to look at it today, but you can write it down. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Has anybody ever heard that before? Do y'all know what they are? What's the fruit of the Spirit? What's first? Love. Yeah, good job. Yeah, get your, give yourselves a hand. Give it, Man, y'all got to come on. This is how you do it, guys. All right. The fruit of the Spirit. But the the problem with us reading about the fruit of the Spirit, because we struggle in every single one of those areas. I struggle with loving people. It's really easy to love people that are easy to love. It's really difficult to love my (laughs) mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you're watching, sorry, I'm just kidding. Uh, But but it's hard to, to love some people in our lives, right? It's hard to love some people that we have in our family. It's hard to love some people that we work with. So we, we try to muster up enough strength to love them better. We try to, we try to have more joy. And we're like, I'm going to work on my joy. I'm going to get more joyful. And what you really need to work on is your face. So, and we try really hard. But that's not the point of the passage the point of the passage is not work hard at loving people, work hard at being patient, work hard at being kind, even though you should, you should work at those things. Actually, the passage, the very beginning of the passage, it says this, allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life. So you follow who Jesus is. You allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, pointing out places, letting him put his finger on places in your heart uh, that's not right, that's not godly, and allowing him to clean those things up. And what the, what the scripture says is, is, if you do that, then the Holy Spirit will produce this fruit in you. Right. The Holy Spirit will do that. So, if you have a family member or a person in your life that's really difficult to love, yes, work at trying to love them better. But even better than that is to go sit with Jesus and get to know who Jesus is. Watch how he loves people. Allow him to change your heart for that person. Pray for that person. And then what's gonna happen is Jesus is gonna to begin to change you over the course of time to look more like him. Then all of a sudden you'll find yourself loving people that you don't like or hard to love. Or having peace in times when the world's going nuts. Or having joy in difficult circumstances. But it all starts back here where you say, God, I'm surrendering everything, I'm giving you my life, I'm gonna allow you to guide me, so I'm taking a step, and I'm taking a step behind you, and as I'm doing that, I become more Christ-like, and all of a sudden, I'm imprinting, I'm embossing, I'm engraving part of Jesus on the people around me. That's how it works. Dallas Willard calls it this: making the kingdom of God tangibly present, that you can touch and you can feel and you can see, tangibly present. Um, uh, one of my kids just went to church camp. I think you guys just went to church camp as well. How was that? Is was it good? Is it a good time, right? Did you have a good, really good camp pastor? <laughs> pastor Tim was the camp pastor this, this year, and answer is yes, he was the best. Um, but Savannah, my second oldest, went to church camp, and we picked her up uh, at camp. We had an Airbnb, and we picked her up at camp on the last day in North Carolina. So on that last day, we brought her home so she could sleep. And I go to the front yard to uh, just relax, read my Bible, journal a little bit, and just enjoy the scenery. Man, if you looked across the road, there's like a mountain, and it was like a cool breeze. It was just perfect, like just perfect. So I'm sitting there, and A church bus passes by, another church van passes by, another one passes by, because they're all leaving camp, which is like a mile down the road, going home. So I'm watching this happen, and out of the corner of my eye, I catch a couple coming out of the next house over and getting in their car. The the man gets into the driver's seat, the lady gets into the passenger seat. And uh, so they throw it in reverse, and he starts to back up, and he backs right into the car behind him in the driveway. You know, we've all made mistakes and things like that. But he just bumps it, a little bump. But what happened next, it just exploded. She evidently said something to him. He said something to her. And then it just got real, real quick. And he started yelling at her. You could hear it in the car. And she gets out. She's like, I'm done with you. And walks away and walks like towards the front of the yard. And he talks her into getting back in the car. And when she closes the door, he goes berserk. I mean, just starts screaming at the top of his line, starts beating the steering wheel and beating like the, the, the windshield and just going crazy in the car. And finally she had enough of that and she gets out and starts walking down the hill like away from the house. And he gets in his car, he starts beating the steering wheel again and then he goes and like talks her into getting back in the car. My wife was like, she need to run. <laughs> she need to get out of, out of that situation. So she gets back in the car and they go there not so merry way. The whole time this, this scene is going on over here, I'm watching, number one, I'm watching like, is he gonna get like physical with her? Like am I gonna have to send like my 15 year old daughter to go fight this person? <laughs> she's martial arts, she does martial arts, so she's the strong one of the family. And, um, and But the whole time this is happening, church bus, church bus, church van, church van, And the thought, I'm watching this, and the thought came to my mind of, of going, these kids just had a whole week of Jesus. Like a whole week where a pastor is calling them into something more, calling them into knowing Jesus deeper. Some of them probably started their relationship with Jesus that week. Some of them probably were called into ministry that week. They were imprinted with a little bit more of Jesus that week but they're going home some of them to that some of them to neighborhoods like that some of them to friends like that some of them to schools like that because we know that the world is broken and that's just a little bitty picture of the brokenness of the world and it, and it dawned on me, it's like this, this question of how can they bring what God has done in them to those around them? And literally all it comes down to is relationship with Jesus. They can't rely on camp high and then go impact the world. You can't rely on Sunday morning church, great message, and impact the world with Christ. You have to understand that it comes down to your daily walk with Christ of going, Jesus, who are you? Who am I? What, do you wanna, what, what are the deep, dark places of my heart that you want to reveal? What is it I need to do? And then just take a step and, and, and go to the next person and allow Jesus to flow through you in that way. So leaving a kingdom legacy, leaving a kingdom legacy, is about imprinting the image of Christ. What you know about Jesus, what he's done for you on those around you. Number two, leaving a kingdom legacy is realizing you are a bridge to something greater than you. That passage, if you look in Genesis chapter five, we're not gonna read the whole thing again because you know the end of every verse is died. Uh, so, but, but you gotta understand something about the passage. Adam, the very first man, simply was a bridge, was a bridge to something even greater than him. He was a bridge to Enoch, where we have this story of this man that walked so closely to God that God's like, I'm just going to take him and just continue this relationship with him. But Enoch was only a bridge to Noah. And Noah, you know, built the ark and saved, essentially, God used him to save the world. But Noah was only a bridge to Abraham who was the father of our faith and the father of the Israelites? But Abraham, all he was, was a bridge to Moses, who helped the Israelites get out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. But Moses, all he was was a bridge to David, who the promise came through, great king of Israel. But David, all he was was a bridge to Jesus. And Jesus said, "You disciples, the church are going to do greater things than I." will ever do. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be a bridge to you. And that's why we're here today. And we are a bridge to the gospel going out even further, to all the way around the world. We are a bridge to something that God wants to do that's even greater. You know, I spent a lot of years here at Woodburn Baptist Church and met a lot of people and and got to know a lot of people in this area. And I thought about this church. You guys just celebrated your 156th or 7th anniversary not too long ago. 150 years of this body of believers being in this little bitty town of Woodburn doing incredible things for God. And I started thinking about some of the families that I've known. I think of like Don and Diane uh, Harris, Pastor Tim's parents. Known them for a long time. Me and Diane used to go back and forth all the time fussing at each other. She'd pick at me. I'd pick at her. And she always stayed in trouble. And uh, loved them to death. But decades upon decades of faithfulness, faithfulness. And, but they would tell you, Don, I know you you would tell me this, that you are a bridge to your son. And what, look what Pastor Tim has done for this congregation and for many of you as, as families. And man, he's preaching funerals and doing weddings and baby dedications and baptisms It's just incredible, right? Give it up for your pastor real quick. <laughs> he hates that. <laughs> he hates that so much. But he would tell you that it's not about that. He doesn't live for this. If he would live for this, he would have been gone a long time ago. But he is a bridge to you and you are to be a bridge to what is next. That's the way it's supposed to happen. I watched your anniversary service, and I saw the little video from the Balance family. Y'all know the Balance family? Balance family's been in this church. How many years have they been here, Tim? The Do you know? 100, probably 100, close to 100 years. 120 years the Balance family's been part of Woodburn Baptist Church, and, which is incredible. But it was really cool in the first service this morning because I had their name written down for this, like, illustration. But I saw it play out in, in real life, which is the coolest thing. Um, we've known the Balance family for a long time. And Miss Joy, Joy Bush, um, has always worked with kids, always. I mean, as long as I've known her. So, and she's always loved my kids. Um, I know she's loved everybody, everybody's kids. But I, saw, I watched her walk down and come to the front row and, <laughs> and just um, bless my oldest daughter this morning and i couldn't help but think it's like it's like you know Kaylin remembers her from when she was little she remembers miss joy and i was i couldn't help but think that like that family 120 years ago would have never known or never even imagined Kaylin betts but they were a bridge to their family and miss joy is a bridge to my girl And it's just, uh, I'm sorry, it's just an amazing thing to to see, like play out after all these years of how much impact a lady has in a church like this back in a Sunday school classroom. Right? And it's just an amazing thing that all she did was like, I'm going to do my best to take what Jesus has done for me and give it to you. It's as simple as that. And it's this idea of just the kingdom legacy going from one life to the next. Number three, number three. Leaving a kingdom legacy is understanding the weight of your words. The weight of your words. Genesis chapter five, verses 28 and 29. Let's read them more in time. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. When you have a, when you have a boy, little boy or a little girl Um, It's time to name him, right? So he holds his little boy in his arms, and he's like, what should I name this little boy? And he names his little boy Noah. Like, we know Noah. Noah built the ark. We know what, what all happened. He didn't. He's a dad holding a new boy. And he names his little boy Noah, and he says, because I want him to bring relief to this world prophesying over his son, a name that he would embody, that he would step into. This idea of like, Noah means comfort. It means relief. And he's like, that's what I see in my son. I see that my son could become the relief of the world. So he names him Noah. This idea of like naming things. The, the question I have for you today with with this, is what has been spoken over you. What, what is it? What is it that you've been named? And I know there's a lot of people in here. You're like, you like, you have this this feeling that you're never enough. Anybody with me? Like oh, never enough. I can't ever do enough. Can't be enough. Whatever. And at some point down the road, somebody made you feel that way. Whether it was a parent or whatever, somebody made you feel that way. So something in the back of your head, it's like it's rent, living rent-free in your head where you're going, I'll never be enough, I never do enough, I never can be enough. And somebody has spoken that over you. But is that true? Is that a true thing? You feel like it's true, right? Or maybe someone called you stupid a long time ago. You now I had that happen to me when I was a teenager. When I, when, when I answered a call to preach, I had a family member call me stupid call it, me stupid you don't want to you don't want to be a stupid preacher you don't want to be a stupid preacher and that stuck with me for a long time because it's like I don't want to be a stupid preacher right like but I feel stupid now I feel stupid for making this decision and it stuck with me for a long time but it's a straight up lie it's a lie and we all have our thing where someone has said something to us you can even bring it up in your mind right now probably what somebody has spoken over you and it's stuck. What's become your name? Your name is not those things, those negative things, those things that drive you into a hole that keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Your name is a whole different thing. Your name is loved. Your name is chosen. Your name is a child of God. So look at I want you to look at your neighbor and say this: I am loved. Ah, so quiet, so quiet. It's hard to say, right? Why is it so hard to say? Like we can sit next to our wife or our husband and go, I love you, but it's so hard to look at the next person and go, I am loved. Why is this, every service was just the same way, so I'm not picking on y'all. Every service did the exact same thing because it's really awkward to look at a person and go, I'm loved. You know why it's so awkward? Because you don't believe it. Like, if you truly believed it, like you truly believe that you are a loved, chosen child of God, shouldn't something come up out of you going, I am loved? I am loved. But something inside you wants you to hold back. Number one, you don't want to say it out loud in the crowd. It's awkward looking at someone you may not even know going, I'm loved. You know, it's like, it's weird. But it's also because you don't believe it about yourself. You have to believe it. You have to speak those kind of things over yourself. If nobody else will, you have to do it. Look in the mirror and go, I am chosen. I do belong here. I am enough because God has made me enough. He was enough, therefore I am enough. We have to do that. But the truth is, is like we have to do that for each other. Who are you? Speaking those kind of things over in your life. You think it's awkward to say, I'm I'm loved? What about speaking it to somebody else? Going walking up to somebody and going, I'm proud of you. Like I'm so proud of you right now. Like what you've been through, I can't believe you've gone through that. Way to be faithful, way to be strong, and just speaking truth into someone else, speaking goodness over someone else, speaking encouragement. We pass by people all the time. We're so busy on our phones. We're so busy going from place to place. But when was the last time that you stopped and looked in a crowd and, and went, you are loved. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are strong. We have to do that for each other. What you say to people has a lasting impact on them. Even your silence has a lasting impact. So you have to use your words. The, the name Jacob in the Old Testament, anybody know what his name means? Yes, surplanter, or a word that we use is deceiver, a liar. So Jacob's name, like daddy's holding Jacob in his, little, in his arms going, my brand new little son, I'm gonna name him, no offense to any Jacobs in the room, okay? <laughs> Sorry, but back then, it's like, I'm holding little Jacob in my arms. I think I'm going to name him liar." <laughs> like, from the get-go. So what is Jacob known for? Deceiving. That's what he did. In the New Testament, Barnabas, the word Barnabas means encouragement, the son of encouragement. Little Barnab- Barney, little Barney comes home. <laughs> And daddy's like, what am I going to name this little dude? I'm going to name him Barney or Barnabas. Because I see encouragement in his face. I see, I see that this, this little boy could be an encourager of the church. And so what he's known for, ironically, is how he encouraged people. These people, Noah, Jacob, Barnabas, and on and on and on, just lived up to their name. They lived up to what was named over them. And one of the greatest legacies you can leave is as simple as what you speak over someone. That is free, y'all. It's free. There's someone in this room today that desperately needs someone else in this room today to encourage them. There's someone in your phone right now that you're thinking of at this second that needs a text or needs a call from you, just a word of encouragement, it doesn't cost anything, but it means the world to that person. One of the greatest legacies you can leave is as simple as what you speak over someone. Then number four, this is the last one, Leaving a kingdom legacy is the first and ultimate calling of a follower of Christ. This is it, y'all. This is it. This is it. I'm supposed to win the world for Jesus. Yes, you are. This is how you do it. It's really simple. It's really small. But you go person to person, speaking to them, sharing the love of Christ through your life with them. God will do the rest. God will do the rest with you. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 says this. We'll read it one more time. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. When he created us, he created us with a purpose. And he created us with a purpose, the purpose of being like himself, to be image bearers to the planet, to be image bearers that take who he is, the good news of Christ, to the world. And this is the thing. He made us to be this Tim Ross says this, there are no covert operatives in the kingdom of God. There's no covert operatives. Nobody hiding out, going, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. He's like, no, 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 we are designed, we are called, we are beckoned to, to take Jesus's love and live it out to those around us. That is our calling. Um, the, the other day, we've been traveling a lot. We've been all over the place. And we were in Atlanta. Has anybody ever been to the world of Coke? Raise your hand if you've been to the world of Coke. It's a great place. I love Coca-Cola. And any time that they just give you unlimited amounts of Coca-Cola, I'm in. And uh, we're there, and there's this big open area at the world of Coke. It's a big wall, and there's, there's one quote on this entire wall. And that, mean, that means if Coca-Cola is pretty intentional. And they're like, if I'm going to put this big giant area in one quote, this, this quote means something. It's a quote from 1915 when the board of directors of Coca-Cola got together and they started talking about the Coke bottle. Y'all know what a Coke glass, glass Coke bottle looks like? So this is the quote on the wall at the World of Coke. A bottle so distinct that it could be recognized by touch in the dark or when lying broken on the ground. The intentionality of that statement 1915, they're like, we're going to make a bottle that everybody in the world will know. When they touch it, light or dark, they can be in the middle of the night and can't see anything. But if they touch a Coke bottle, they're going to know that's a Coca-Cola. If it's broken on the ground in pieces, if they pick it up and feel the pieces, they'll know, well, that's a Coke bottle. That's not a Pepsi. That's a Coke. (laughs) It's like they, they know. The intentionality with that. The world is dark. Have y'all been out there? Have y'all seen things on the news? Have you lived this life in the last few years? It's been crazy, right? It is so dark. And what the world desperately needs is not a bunch of Christians on Facebook blasting everything. It's the last thing they need. But what they do need is a lot of Christians spending time with Jesus, getting to know their Father, and becoming, and starting to look so much like Him, that in the midst of the darkness, they look at you, and they look at I, and go, man, uh, that's probably what Jesus looked like. Like, they love people, like really love people. like. The world's crazy, but they have so much peace. Like, world's nuts, but, and their lives are falling apart, but why are they so joyful? That's what they need. If we can pick up a Coke bottle in the darkness and understand that, and realize that it's a Coke bottle, we should be able to, like, live a life in such a way that closeness to Jesus that the world looks at us and goes, they're like Jesus. Even when the world tries to throw you against the ground and and destroy your life and the enemy comes and tries to stomp on you and break you down, even when things like that happen, even when a Coke bottle lies on the ground broken, people will still know that's a Coke. Even when the world tries to break you, they look at your life and go, that's a follower of Jesus. Their life, look at their, their life is nothing like anything I've ever seen before. How can they live that kind of life? So if if Coke can be that intentional with a bottle, shouldn't we spend a little bit more time with Jesus and get to know who he is and let him impact our lives and just allow him to change us, like slowly, but change us in such a way that people see us? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Clint just talked about this on the screen. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples. It's this, this constant making a disciple, teach this disciple. Teach this disciple what? How to obey? To make disciples. And what does that one do? Teach and to make. And it's this continual pattern of kingdom legacy leaving One of the saddest verses in the Bible is this, and I'm wrapping up. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Judges 2.10. It says, there grew up a generation that did not know God. Do you think we're living in a generation like that? People don't wanna know God. People have no time for God. But you have gotta understand something. It's not culture's fault. It's the church's responsibility. It's the church's responsibility to take the good news of Jesus and live it out and take it to the world. It's not the culture's fault. And Andy Stanley said this, the most important contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise. That's an incredible statement. He's talking about his family, but I wanna add a word to it because we're talking about more than family today. We're talking about our our entire lives. And it's this, the most important contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise up. Someone you raise up. If we're to look back through these different uh, qualities of a kingdom legacy lever, it's this idea of imprinting Christ on those around you. You cannot imprint Christ on those around you unless you know Christ. So if there's someone in here today, and you're like, man, my life, oh my goodness, like it's crazy, I need a new star, I, I'm dealing with this addiction, whatever it is, I'm lost, I don't know where I'm going in eternity, whatever it is, it starts right here. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. So we're talking about leaving a legacy that matters for all eternity. And those of you that don't know Jesus, you're you're hearing me right now, but you need to take the step of faith. Like get into this mix, get into this, this family, get into this relationship with him But also, the second one is like, we're a bridge to something greater. You can't sit on the sidelines and be a bridge to something greater. There should be people in your life that are pouring into you and that you're pouring into. You should be like a river where life is flowing in and life is flowing out. So get involved, get involved in somewhere that's passionate to you where you can can be involved and you can reach people and you can just impart what God has done in you and you don't like I said it's easy it's simple and you don't have to be perfect you can start exactly where you are whether you've been a Christian for a day or you've been a Christian for 80 years it's still for you but also your words I challenge you encourage someone today text that person call that person that person pops in your mind that's the Holy Spirit going you really need to reach out to them If that person in this room popped in your mind, don't leave today without walking over to them and say whatever you need to say to encourage them and lift them up. And then the last one, the first and ultimate calling of the follower of Christ is leave a kingdom legacy. This is what it's about, y'all. This is the church, and the church has to go from just sitting in pews to being in the lives of people and allowing God to do whatever he needs to do to reach that next generation. Let's, Let's pray.